I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <clears throat> You're listening to the Sands Pants Network. Home of comedy, <laughs> culture, adventures, and ghosts. Hi everyone, welcome to Bookish, I'm George DiMorellis, this is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show we have artist, designer and renaissance man, Gregory Ladner. Gregory, pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me at your place. I feel like I, I need to point this out even though no one else can see this, I am in Gregory's house right now and it is absolutely stunning. So, <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Well, I, as I said, I like to surround myself with beauty. And I can tell that from your recent book that you wrote as well, which is a, a, probably another add-on I have to say, recent author as well for Gregory, mm. yeah, your memoir. Um, so, let's... We'll talk about a whole bunch of things. Yep. So, what I'd like to do is actually get do your book of choice at the start, and then we'll jump around from there, okay. and we'll tie it all together. So, um, let's start with that. So, your book of choice for today is? Flowers for Mrs. Harris by Paul Calico. And the reason why I chose that, I mean, it's very hard because I've got 100 favorite books, and it's a, it's a lightweight, sweet, beautiful little novel. And the reason I chose it was they've just made it into a film. And it's the most excruciating film I've ever seen. I just hated it so much. <laughs> it's a, it's always much more insulting when it's to a, a, one of the works that you love. <laughs> yeah, well, they did say it was based on an idea, which the idea, the basic idea is the book, but they just filled it up with rubbish and it's set in Paris and there's they've thrown everything in. They've got rubbish strikes and student demonstrations and, you know, it's just crazy. Ah, so they they tried to make it all. They gr- tried. Well, yeah, they tried yeah. to do a gritty reboot. Yeah, <laughs> that was for Mrs. Yeah, Harris. Yeah, because uh, the the basic story is, is so sweet, and there's really not a film in it. But so you can I understand what they've done. But I just really hot under the collar about it at the moment, and I especially hot when people say, "Oh, it's fabulous," and I and I have to slam into them. <laughs> have you read the book? <laughs> no. Well. Read the book. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I guess uh, to summarize the book quickly, because I was actually looking. This is one of those rare books that's actually not that, uh, not that, not that thoroughly looked up online. So I was trying to get some oh, it's details. Not, not a book a lot of people would know about. He wrote, and I've only read Flowers for Mrs. Harris, but Mrs. Harris was a character, and he wrote, I think, six or seven books about Mrs. Harris's adventures. Mm. It's all about a charwoman who his dream is to have a beautiful French dress one day. And she works at, you know, everything and to get this dress. And then she never gets to wear it and she lends it to this flibbity gibbet model who ruins it. 
and and just leaves it in a heap in the, the corner. So it's quite a sad story. Because of my fashion background, I, I, it appeals to me. And it, she goes off to the house of Christian Dior and has this dress made. Mm. She saves up to, to She saves up one. and works and yeah, yeah. everything to get the money to buy this dress. Mm. She's from London. She's a charwoman in London. Right. But then she goes to Paris? She goes to Paris to buy a dress. Yeah, yeah. That's what, and then, and yeah. then the, this book is about the adventures there yeah. or adventures. Well, the loosely. film's about adventures. In the book, it's very simple. She goes and gets a dress. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, see, that's all. There's no student riots and there's no rubbish piled up six foot tall in the streets or anything like that. It's a very sweet little story. Mm. Okay, and, and when did you uh, first read that? Oh God, I can't remember. Probably in my teens, and oh. I've, I read it. I, I reread it every few years. You know. mm. I love it. It's, I mean, it does. Like, it's funny when you because uh, having your memoir as well. It just seems like it, it does type into a lot of the stuff that seems to be a part of your life as well. In terms of the the designer element, the travel, the leaving from somewhere to go. Somewhere a bit fancier, I guess, and then obviously the getting the dress and all that stuff. Mm. Um, when you first read it, even though it feels weird saying this because I have, <laughs> but like when you first read it, you said you were in your teens. At that point, you were well aware of your artistic tendencies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's been evident since I was a baby. Yeah, mm. and, that, and uh, if that, that's what it seems like from, and then you went to the design school uh, when you, uh, for university? Well, it's, it was um, called Paran Tech in those days. It's now Swinburne University. You seem to have, Shine from the start with that sort of stuff. So it always seemed like something you were passionate about. Um, yeah, I've always been passionate about uh, everything, really. <laughs> Life. Yeah, and, and, I, and that is the part which I, uh, I appreciate from reading your memoir as well. It's just like this appreciation for a broad, very broad range of uh, artistic endeavors, I guess I could say it that way. I mean, in it, you, 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 you go from fashion to art to uh, like interior design. Um, you even go through the ballet and the opera as well. Yeah, I, I would have liked to have been a ballet dancer was my uh, first choice, if there was a choice. I mean, I was talking in the book about film Billy Elliot, and um, I, I put off watching that for years because I knew that it would really break me up. And I watched it on a plane coming home from India once, and I didn't cry, I didn't sob, I was racked with grief, and the poor stewardesses kept coming up to me and saying, what's wrong, what's wrong? Nothing could be that sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you're like Billy Elliot. Yes, that could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I did because I did do remember you mentioning the uh, your love of music and dance, but not something that you'd pursued yourself. Well, I would it? have liked to have been Billy Elliot. Yeah. So when you say that, though, do you mean like you? I wanted to be a ballet dancer. You, did you like you tried, but you just wasn't no, no. My father was uh, wouldn't even. Well, he didn't even acknowledge that I wanted to be. It was like a blank wall, mm. and. Um, I got into fashion because we, he had a cousin who was quite a successful designer and she had a good, well-paying job and uh, drove a bright orange Ford Capri. And uh, he thought, well, there's money in that. And my second choice, I wanted to be a painter. And he thought, oh, a house painter, that's pretty good. Uh, but then he found out it was an artist and so he wouldn't let me do that. But then I did fashion and, you know, I've no regrets. I've had a fabulous career in fashion and I love it. Yeah, I mean, it, I, again, it's the other thing that I noticed from your your memoir as well is the characters that you kind of paint within it as you're talking about the different people that you meet along the way. Um, is that, I guess, as we discussed before we started this show uh, today, uh, you love watching people, essentially. Yeah, and, I love to observe people. Yeah, so yeah. is that a, like... I, I, there's a, there's kind of a crossover there because I guess that's why I thought fashion might have been more... I. I one of your passions at the start because obviously seeing people and how they move and how they interact and all that, it seems to go hand in hand with how they express themselves through something like uh, fashion. Uh, but that wasn't as much a thing as just 
that was the avenue you went into and you found yourself expressing yourself where, there well. Well, I, you know, in the book, um, you know, it's a boy and his bear, and from the moment I could dress up Teddy, Teddy was in a dress. So I think the first dress I ever made him was made out of all the decorations and the paper doil is from a big wedding. And then it started from there and then, yeah, so that was my expression of fashion. Yeah. Mm. I guess, and this this is the thing I always find interesting because I, when meeting people who've like, uh, you have an eye for stuff that I would, I just don't have any experience in myself in terms of like working in fashion and things like that. So, do you, I guess, do you look at people on the street and you're constantly like assessing their style? Or no, no, what, I never Not judge. in terms of like judging, but more no, in terms no, of no, what I'm it not. says about them, like in terms of their attitudes well, and stuff. You know, I don't, I don't I, judging, but not in the mean sense, in the, oh, this is this kind of like, that's how they are, if you know what I mean. Well, it's very rarely that you see someone that, Catches your eye, really. That we're a dreary old mob in Melbourne, especially all black, grey, and drab. Um, so when you do see someone with a bit of style, you know it stops you in your tracks. All right, mm. okay. I'll be but a- I can't say that I see it a lot. That's a, a brutal indictment. It is Melbourne. very brutal. <laughs> no, and my, my husband Mark say you sound like a grumpy old man, but you know uh, I don't see the fact. Even in my lifetime. You used to, you'd go to the theatre and people would be dressed up. you go to the opera and people would be dressed up. I mean, recently, the last time I went to the opera, I sat next to someone in a tracksuit, you know. <laughs> yeah, look, that's... That's it. fashion. Have you... And do, so you feel like that change has been noticeable? Oh, uh, very noticeable, yeah. I, like, I do feel like there was, there was a... I mean, it's, it goes both ways, right? Because you get people getting more relaxed, which is a nice thing maybe yeah, in the sense the, that... But uh, they're kind of just letting it go all together. They're not trying... Like, it's not a nice tracksuit. <laughs> well, is there such a thing as a nice tracksuit? I mean, you know, <laughs> having been, we've all been through the COVID, you know, I was in a tracksuit for most of the time. But, yeah, it's not something you need to wear to the opera. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. But there was no reason to dress up, you know. And I, looking back, we should have dressed up. We should have dressed up every day and got our best clothes out. We had nothing else to do. I mean, that's true. And, and as you said, that is another way of, like, getting your mood like heightened, I guess, by putting on stuff like that. But just, mm. but then again, maybe the the trackies were a reflection of the mood as yes, well. Yes. So, well, they were comfortable. Yes. Yeah, and then you're like, I'm not in the mood to get dressing up. Like this is a nice reflection of it. I had a very good client, one of my favourite clients, and she would wear anything I'd made her. And sometimes the dresses were extremely difficult and uncomfortable. And she had a saying: "Was if you want to be comfortable, wear a tracksuit." <laughs> it's true. She didn't care what I put her through to look fabulous. Um, that's the right attitude to have, I think. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to be uncomfortable, but you're going to look uh, stunning. Stunning, <laughs> stunning is indeed stunning's the word. Yeah. Um, so, like, as someone who works in fashion now, I guess uh, I'm going to be approaching this as a very, uh, very much a noob, someone who doesn't know much about uh, the workings of the industry. So, one of the things I guess uh, that's in people's minds whenever they think of fashion is obviously these runway shows that you see all the time, and sometimes you see the more like. Uh, wild outfits that are shown there and that gets kind of shared around. With those things, is that just like a way for the the house to show their oh, yeah, direction? It's to, it's to make sometimes a shock or things. You know, th- those those clothes you see on the runway seldom ever make it to mainstream. Yeah. It, it's it's almost essentially like a, I guess, like an art gallery of like what their style is. Yeah. Is that really the idea? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's fabulous because it's entertaining and it's, I mean, one of my favourite designers, Victor and Rolf, now, Victor and Rolf have very, very successful perfume range. So that's the money, the perfume. That lets them do whatever they want, and they do some really wacky things, but they're fantastic. And it's the money. That's the perfume that does it for them. 
Right. It's it's like that's what gives them the chance to go yeah, and have yeah, the do fun what here. You like because you know they get headlines and notice with what they do on the runway, and it's all I suppose backs up the the perfume. Yeah, it's one thing I never got to do a perfume. Ah, I mean, it's still plenty of time. No, I don't like perfume actually. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why I've never done one. <laughs> I think that does explain it very quickly. Yes. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going back to the, uh, the 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 clothing comment you mentioned because, funny enough, I, and also the opera. I went to the ballet recently for my first time, oh, yeah. uh, which was uh, just a recent production, Romeo and Juliet, that was just here at the uh, um, Australian Ballet. Yeah, um, and I, I think I went the opening night. Um, and well, there would have been some. People well dressed. That well, that's night. what I was going to say. That night I they was actually. They had to be well dressed on the opening night. <laughs> All right. So there is still, there is still a standard. Yeah. Cause I went yeah. there. I was like, what did oh. you wear? Okay. You, your eyes look down at me as <laughs> I said, well, I'm no, feeling very wearing... attacked. <laughs> no, you weren't wearing that. <laughs> no, I wasn't wearing this. <laughs> you can, no, I did dress up. I had a shirt. I had, uh, proper pants. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Some nice, uh, nice runners. <laughs> Good. No, there was a okay. I'm feeling very judged for this. No, 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 don't. <laughs> no, no. I, I, because the because I went with my partner and, and she was like, "Oh, yeah, everyone's so nicely dressed. This is not what you see on a Wednesday." Yeah. When at the ballet, and I was like, "Oh, okay. I didn't. Um. Well, okay. I'm glad I came on a night where I got to have the yeah. proper experience of it. Good. I guess. Should uh, be like that every night. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it adds to the mood a little bit. Yeah. When people yeah, do that, yeah. Make an effort. Yeah. Although I do wonder, and actually, this is this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, do you think that like a part of this is the fact that <laughs> The change in how wealth, uh, I guess, the how you know it, it went from more old-fashioned money being the thing to like you know everyone's entrepreneurial and all that. So a way to show that you didn't care, and I guess you see it now with tech billionaires or whatever, is to not dress up because you're showing how like oh I'm I don't need this. I'm like it almost becomes a statement in its own way to just not care. Mm. If you know what I mean, mm. is that like a thing that's no? You're looking at me. No, I'm no. It's, it's not in my sphere. Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering, like, why it changed. Yeah, essentially well, the- yeah, I don't know why it changed. I mean, there's still immense wealthy people that you see the couture shows, and they these dresses, you know, they're twenty five, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. People must buy them and wear them somewhere, but God knows where. You know, just not definitely not in Melbourne. No, right. Right, so I guess to go on the Melbourne thing, then is it so? Which cities would you have an opinion on the better dressed cities of the world? Um, well, of course, well, you know, London, New York, Paris, Rome, all those, those, uh, those places. You see them. Oh, we were just in London, and we stayed near German Street, where all the tailors are, and you just see the most exquisitely dressed men. I mean, fabulous. One, and I saw one guy, not this trip, but he must have been. It was like a round ball. It was as wide as he was tall, but he looked absolutely superb because his his suit was custom made and just exquisite. Yeah, just like the highest standard. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. Measured and just yeah. like yeah, I think, that, I think that's a part which like yeah, if you could if you wear the right thing, you can look amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. no matter what shape and all that sort of stuff, right? But it's funny in, in your life how you change. I mean, many years I spent a lot of money on clothes, and I bought all my clothes in Paris, and I wore. You know, Izzy Miyake and Yoshi Yamoto were my favourite designers. And then you just, I've grown away from all that. I, I sort of make my own, some, I make my own shirts and, uh, I'm guilty of buying from Target <laughs> because the, they produce fabulous, fabulous designs. Um, the fact that they're, you know, made by eight year old children is sort of, is a terrible thing, but, uh, I'm guilty of it, I have to say. Really? So yeah. you're saying like the actual style? Yeah, yeah. I could take a woman into Target 
and have her coming out look like a million dollars for, you know, 80 bucks. Really? Yeah. I've never got a friend to do it yet. <laughs> They're like, oh, we like the idea. No but- way, no way. You know, but you could. And I, when I go to those stores, I look at the women's clothes and say, yeah, that's fabulous, and put it with that and put it with that. And you, you know, you can dress um, absolutely most so stylishly for nothing. Hmm. Is that is that uh, is that as possible with guys? Because obviously, oh, yeah. women, you got a lot more like range, I guess. Oh yeah, they're, like- they're not as uh, wide or. But you know, yeah, I, I dress a lot of clothes I get from those sort of shops, and I, I've taken to online now. So I buy, and it's hit and miss because sometimes you get really good things, and then other times you just I hide them and throw them out before Mark sees. <laughs> You don't have the type to re- return them when they don't. No, no, that's all too complicated. I just I bought a fabulous pair of jeans that had a, like printed um, Rococo angels or like Tintoretto, and and they were mm, twenty seven dollars or something. And I wore I wore them on this trip, and you know, so many people would come up and say, "God, I love your jeans." You know? Yeah, it's it's strange that uh like that I guess the the fact that now you can dress so nice for so little now if you yeah. just got the eye for it. I think that, as I say, I used to wear um, Yoji with my favourite designer and that all finished once I was in Paris in the Yoji shop trying on a suit and, I, you know, you're trapped there and you've got four salesmen and you know you're not going to get out of there without spending, you know, $4,000. <laughs> and I looked and I looked at this suit and I said, I've got four of these suits, you know, exactly the buttons may be a bit different. And I did and I thought, it suddenly hit me, what am I doing? So Mark had bought me this very cheap little, like a Buddha bracelet of wooden beads on elastic. And it came down and I, I pulled it and snapped it. So hundreds of beads went all over the shop and they all ran around trying to pick them up. And by the time they picked them up, I was out of that shop <laughs> at 100 miles an hour, <laughs> leaving the $4,000 Yoji suit in the corner in a crumpled. I just, and that was a sort of re- realisation of, you know, it, you don't have to spend all that money. I, I love the fact you needed a decoy. Well, I had to because I wouldn't have got out without buying that suit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They just would have uh, pressured you too yeah. strongly into it. Yeah. It would have been a lovely suit though. But. Oh, yeah, they were, but I had three of them at home. It's exactly the same. Uh, that, that would defeat the purpose, I guess. So to go back to the, uh, so the, the travel component, because that's what, what I thought might have stood out when you first picked the, the book that you did, uh, The Flowers from Mrs. Harris. Was that something you actually always wanted to do when you were younger? I think the travel just came sort of, Naturally, I, I never dreamt of going travelling. It just came with the life that we we chose. I didn't get on an aeroplane until I was 26, and by that stage, many of my friends had been to Europe and all that sort of stuff. So I, I was more interested in buying antique furniture. So I would buy antiques rather than airline tickets. Is that just you? Just a bit of a homebody? You never really interested in that? Well, not a homebody. I just um, wanted these things. I wanted this furniture, these beautiful things. I just there was a fantastic woman called Liesl Steiner, and she sold a lot of Biedermeyer, which is, I've got quite a few pieces. And I bought them, you know, when I was in my early 20s. And I was getting not a very big wage, but most of my money was going on paying off furniture. And then I'd pay off one bit, and then I'd pay off another bit. So, you know, until I was 26, I couldn't afford to go anywhere. (laughs) You're like, this antique chair is worth anything. I've got to have that, you know. Yeah. And she was amazing because she never let anyone pay things off, but she let me do it. She liked me because I had a passion, you know. She, she knew I had a passion for it. So then she knew you appreciated. Yeah, you had an actual eye for that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I, and it, that, that's kind of what I'm wondering there, because like, how does that eye develop? Did you feel it was something which was uh, inherent, or especially because your background, obviously, a bit like working class Footscray, um, 
like it wasn't something where you were in, seeing it all the time. No, no, I didn't have those influences in at all. Um, we had one print in our house, and it was a Canaletto, uh, a picture of Venice. And I actually saw that picture on this trip in London at, in a gallery. And I said, oh, we had that. And that was the only art we had, was this one print. So I don't know where it came from. Yeah. You know. Did it- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Like, but was was there, and this might be so long ago, it's barely remembered now, but was there a period of like development or like intentional development or was it more just... I know, it just, just sort of just happened. It was natural sort of... You know, I was... Drew from a very early age. I was always drawing. I can't pinpoint anything. Mm. And, you know, my love of sort of interiors and things, because, you know, we had, we lived behind a shop and it wasn't, and I can, I, I can see it and it wasn't grand. And then we, we got a, uh, I talk about in the chapter Hobbs Street, we moved and, um, in the fifties and my mother did the house up in the fifties style. You know, it had Scandinavian furniture and it had the, um, curtains with the Aboriginal standing on one leg with a boomerang and it had a bright orange wall, feature wall and things. So it was like very smart. And I think about the age of 11, I made my mother change it all. I mean, I must have been a shocking, precocious child. We had this carpet I used to call the Colorado Rapids and it was these swirls of colour, every colour. You could not make a mistake with that carpet because no matter what you had in the house, it would match something. So I hated this this carpet with passion. And we didn't have, I had no, she said, I didn't have a budget. I couldn't afford new carpet. So I made her, went out and we bought, um, packets and packets and packets of dialon. And I had a big bucket of brown dialon and I dyed this carpet. She helped me from the front door right to the back door, just on our knees doing this. So I had this dark brown carpet and then I put, Beige furniture and it was quite sort of boring, really. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's, I, thought, I just knew I didn't want that bright orange wall. Yeah, and that's you know that's that Scandinavian furniture now is really fashionable and quite expensive. Hmm. And I threw it out. At eleven years old. Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Imagine when you look at an eleven-year-old and you go, mm, "How could you do that?" Yeah. I look at friends' eleven-year-olds and go, mm, 
Uh, he, I that, would not be trusting you to, <laughs> to design my house. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Like, uh, dude, that's interesting. It was just so ingrained from the start. And I guess that's a uh, – so when you were saying, yeah, ballet or painter or whatever, I guess for you it was always just about it being expressive though or like working in the arts essentially. Um, I don't know. It's just as we say, it was a natural thing. I just gravitated to it. Mm. I always had – I've always had an eye for – good things like you know i'd always pick the most expensive thing like you'd go into a shop and there's a big table and it's got reduced to six dollars and i'll pick out and go, oh that's nice and they go oh sorry that's a mistake that's forty dollars <laughs> you know and that was my whole life i've done that still do it <laughs> just, just except now it's probably more than forty dollars right well probably now <laughs> but yeah Oh, and then, um, so with the, the growing up, and I just got to mention this because I, I thought it was very, uh, consistent throughout the book, your love of, um, cinema and, oh, yes, it's, and TV is, as it is yeah, now. It still is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, cause you, you reference a lot of, uh, show tunes and sort of stuff throughout. Well, every chapter in the book starts with a, a Judy Garland song or ends with a Judy Garland song or some lyrics from a film. Yeah. Film had a great influence on me. Did you feel like in what way? Uh, well, I wanted the things I saw on the screen. Right. You know, there's a, I mean, this probably sounds very pompous, but there's a, one of my favorite films, which I must have seen. I don't know what year it was put out, but it's probably 57 or 58. I don't know. This is High Society. And it's an, it's been made several times and it's about a big society wedding in the Hamptons or, and, um, so they sing this song. Who wants to be a millionaire? And these people say, I don't. And I go, mm, I do. <laughs> I knew that I wanted those things up there. <laughs> so I guess, so that was part of the love of that, because especially that classic period, which you seem to reference quite a lot in it, like of cinema, yes. the golden age, I guess. Well, you know, I, I used to sneak home because school was quite close to home, and I'd go home and I'd watch the midday movies. And this is now, this is going back you know, 60 years or something. So in those days, they showed. The movies they showed were all the movies from the 30s and the 40s. And so I trained and I, I watched all the Greta Garbo films. I watched, you know, all that. And so that's what influenced me a lot. I mean, that's interesting because that, that, that is something that you were seeing from a young age of a very high standard that I'm not saying like you were directly doing it, but obviously there was osmosis going on there because you were seeing, I guess, the most like beautiful people. Oh, beautiful, people. you know, clothes like the Garbo films. One of my favourite designers, a guy called Gilbert Adrian, or just Adrian, was, and he did all the clothes for Greta Garbo, and they were so exquisite. And that's where I, I, I'm sure my love of fashion started. Yeah, yeah right there on the, on the screen. Mm. Um, was, it, was there any element of escapism with watching, like, Oh, going probably, to because, you know, it was a world that I wasn't surrounded by. I, you know, we li- lived in a rough working-class suburb. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's always the case with like mm. those kind of huge fantasy inspiring, uh, movies, right? And then, but you're still a TV junkie now. Well, I watch too much TV. I love TV. So I feel like now, but now it's less about the clothes and more about just. It's got to have, I mean, I can watch things. If, I can watch the worst movie if it's got a good dress in it or a fine chair or uh, a mirror or something. I can love it. It's, you know, there's a, mo- <laughs> a movie called Barfly with Faye Dunaway and um can't remember his name. Guy that ruined his face is Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. <laughs> and it is so it's all about down and outs and they're drunks and alcoholics and hopeless and they live in squalor. And I thought I can't watch this, I can't watch this film any longer. 
And then I noticed the corner of my eye a mirror in this dump of a flat, and it was a George III mirror. And then I looked a bit closer, and there's a 1930s Ruhlman um, cabinet. And this designer had put all these beautiful, priceless things together in this apartment. It looked like rubbish. And, and from that moment on, that's one of my favourite films because, because of the chairs and the, the mirrors and, and the sideboard. Okay. So and see, I probably would have been the only person that ever picked that up. Mm. Just because of my eye. You know? I mean, straight away, I just think uh, I probably won't be taking movie recommendations from you. Then. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, that, I did find that. Uh, yeah, it seemed that, that it seemed to tick a lot of boxes that that kind of old fashioned style when you were younger. Yeah. Um, but then obviously, just movies in general. Was that actually anything you were interested in? I know you tried all these other arts. Was that something you were wanted to deep dive into further? Oh, cinematography and well, I would have loved. So I would have loved to have been a designer for the opera or the ballet or film. Um, you know, opportunities didn't really present themselves. I, I did miss out on doing an opera a few years ago. And I, I was we, there was a small opera company here and I knew the director and we were talking about it and I said that I'd love to d- design an opera and he said, oh, and they were doing an opera and then the, the designer had pulled out or something and he said, I'll see what I can do and I was terribly excited. And um, I waited and waited and didn't get a call and uh, about 12 months later I saw him at a party and he cut me dead, totally and I thought, what, what have I done, you know? And I sort of, I went up and I said, well, what's wrong? He said, I worked so hard to get you that job designing that opera and you never returned my call. I went, I didn't get a call. And what had happened, I'd had a new girl in the office and she answered the phone and didn't give me the message. So that was my career in opera finished. <laughs> that is so brutal. It was awful, you know. And of course, I, in the meantime, I designed this opera because, and it was a small company with no budget, and I'd done it with cardboard boxes sprayed gold, and, and it was fabulous. And I uh, didn't get to do it. Ah, mm. that is, that's, that sucks. That, to, to be yeah. finding out there was just a missed call. Anyway. Yeah. That's life. And it is We've all had missed calls. Yeah, mm. <laughs> more than one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've, I've got to ask as well, because you, you do talk about the teddy bear. Uh, do you still have it now? Oh, yeah. Yes. Do you keep it like now? He's, he's just it? out there in the, in the hall. Oh, he's just out there. I thought you were keeping behind some sort of No, no, no. He's, he's on the cover of the book on the back. Yeah, that yeah. That photo, that's Teddy's latest incarnation. I just thought you'd like be keeping it safe now because he's so old. No, 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 no. He's just a, there every day. Oh, mm. that's a really nice touch, that one. Yeah, okay. I'll show it to. I'll show you before you go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, that sounds good. I uh, the other side as well. I picked up from your uh, memoir is obviously you do go into uh, growing up with your sexuality back in that period, um, and you qu- <laughs> you have quite a honest chapter about it at, towards the end as well. Well, the, the final chapters, yes. Uh, is, is about, it's called Gayer Than Laughter and it's about my sex life. And I thought writing the book, you know everything. I've, you know, you may as well know it, really everything. So it's all laid out there, there. But it's, I, I think it's quite a funny chapter. I think it's really amusing. That chapter. Well, I do. And I think it's like, it's interesting because, and may, I, I, maybe you want to talk about this, but like, it seems like a much, it's a fairly healthy relationship with both your sexuality and how it interacted with the world and kind of how it works. Is that, is that it? Yeah, it was Is never a fair? problem for me. I never had a problem coming out because I never went in uh, the closet. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't a thing. You know, but, I had as a kid, I was bullied at school because I was a sissy. But um, as I say, you know, I I could run faster. They say they could never catch me. So, and I always felt 
don't know, it's awful to say superior to everyone. I mean, I've got a superiority complex probably. So, you know, their opinion didn't worry, didn't matter to me. I didn't care what, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's the feeling was like, oh, this is just like a really, yeah, maybe it is a superiority complex. You're like, ah, doesn't yeah. faze me. No, no. <laughs> I'm better than this anyway. A few years ago now, um, one of those bullies I met, he drove a delivery truck and he used, they used to do a lot of deliveries for our business, our, we have got a fashion accessory label called Gregory Ladner. So, and he wanted, he obviously remembered Gregory Ladner going to, and he wanted to meet me and, you know, and I, I was a bit cruel, really. Not that I said anything, but I, I sort of, not flaunted, but you know, there I was with my name on the building and there he was driving a truck. But at school, he was an absolute bully and brutal to me, you know. So I sort of let him have it. <laughs> <laughs> just subtly. Just subtly. <laughs> just let him be yeah, like, yeah. I just put it Well, here I am. Now, yeah, and there <laughs> you are, you know. <laughs> be like, oh, I just got back from a trip. It's crazy, you know. People right. want to know my name all around the world. You yeah. know? <laughs> the cruelest thing I did was because in those days we had, I had fabulous hair and we all had, and it was the year of the Beatles and we all had Beatle fringes and stuff. And he used to compete with me and he was as bald as a badger. And so when I left, I swished my hair. <laughs> Look at me, I've still got hair. <laughs> okay, yeah, that is sounding very... <laughs> yeah. Well, look, why not? Yes. Get get something back. That, that's very fair. Um, I do want to... The other thing I want to talk about as well is uh, in terms of writing this book, the memoir, uh, what was kind of this like reason for it, I guess? Well, I, I went off to... Worked and lived in Hong Kong for a while and... I was supposed to just travel backwards and forwards and, you know, four weeks there and three weeks home, but it didn't work out like that. And I was sort of stuck there for longer times. And I would write emails, particularly to this girl that wasn't a great friend, but I'd, I'd write, you know, funny things that had happened during the day or the weekend or stuff that I was doing. And she'd say, Oh, Gregory, they're so funny. Can I pass them on? So she would pass them on to friends and it finished up like with 80 people reading my emails. So it was a bit of a pressure to sort of, come up with something entertaining and a new email or something. And that's where I first started the drawings. Um, yeah, that are scattered throughout yeah. the book. And yeah, and so this all sort of built up and then they, people said, oh, you must write a book. And so that's how I sort of started writing a book, not intentionally to publish it or anything. So it sort of built up over the years. And it's been a long time, you know, 20 years I've been writing this yeah, book. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because that, that, that was a while ago, the Hong Kong. Yeah, when, yeah, when you well, that was 20, over, over 20 years ago, so it started then. And then, you know, every now and again I'd pull it out and, or add another chapter or think about um, it, you know, uh, publishing it. But, you know, I'd get, because you need an editor, and so I'd get these editors and they were hopeless. I had one girl came back with a alas. Now, alas is a word I've never used in my entire life. So there were, you know. So she didn't last long. She added in an alas. alas. you know, because they... That is such I don't a know. bold addition. Well, and also they change everything. You know, I'd look at it and say, well, I didn't write that because I, I mean, you probably picked up by reading the book that I do have my own voice and I, a style of writing. Well, I'd come back and like, who wrote that? Not me. Mm. And then in, in lockdown, I, I decided I'd, write, I'd, I'd pull it together and make a book. And uh, I was recommended a, 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 a lovely woman to edit it and she was fantastic because she didn't lose me. And sometimes, you know, a chapter would come back and she'd charge me, you know, $400 and I'd look at it and go, a lazy cow, she's done nothing. And then of course she'd look at it and because she had done $400 worth of editing on it, but I didn't, didn't notice because it was still my voice. 
Yeah, yeah. And that was that was a fantastic uh, collaboration. She was great. Yeah, sometimes the less is more sort of thing, right? Yeah. It's like uh, the, the most expensive haircuts are the ones that don't actually cut much at all. Yeah, <laughs> you don't just, notice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they just yeah. done it just right, so you just walk out and you look amazing. But it's mm. like, uh, but that that whole process was very interesting. Mm. Mm. Well, that back and uh, well, I guess, I mean, I think that's the best way to improve any writing, right? Is when someone can like kind of you can show you all the little things that can just better capture your voice. Oh, yeah, there was a lot. I mean, I I sort of used to write in one long sentence, and 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 and. And so she cut out all the ants and, you know, formed proper sentences and, you know, uh, it was, it was a terrific experience. Yeah, that can be a, too many ants. I can start sounding like a well, it was. child. One, one a, long a sentence. And, and then it went, and, 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 and then you said, and, and then. Um, and I just want to go back to, even though we started with it, uh, the same question, I guess, but in terms of uh, Flowers for Mrs. Harris, because I do uh, go on this one. I know you said the reason you chose was partially just because of this movie that came out that yes. completely soiled well, that's it. On, was on my mind. That's why I thought of that book. Yeah, but I mean, I guess, but it was it just the vibe of it that made you stick with you so long after all these years and made you feel such travesty for what you saw up on the screen? Like, was it, I guess that's what I'm trying to kind of unpack before we... I know, it's just a simple, sweet story that's been ruined. Yeah. Well, so I'm trying to move away from the just the bin ruined part and just know why this one specifically. I don't know spoke why that of, book appealed to me. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's, just, it's only a short sort of novella, really. Mm. Mm. And just like I guess adventure. I don't want to go harp on about it. Obviously, it's a very clean, simple story. Wins the money, goes to Paris, buys the dress, mm. and then it just gets thrown away. Well, she she's got this beautiful dress, and there's this, she's got this girl that's scatty and you know, vacuous. And she's going out and she says, can I borrow the dress? And of course she borrows the dress and then ruins it. And then doesn't, and I think the thing is, she, she leaves her a bunch of flowers and that's sort of to say, I'm so, she doesn't even say I'm sorry, she just leaves a bunch of flowers for her and that's her dreams ruined. That's what I mean, that's a very sad, very yeah, sad that's what I'm story. <laughs> There's a lot going on here if we really wanted to go well, into the, it. And the film doesn't, the film has a very happy ending and it's all lovely and people love it, but I hated it. So in the, in the film, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do a spoiler. No, anyway. I mean, it yeah. does, it's fine. That's yeah. it. Um, so because of that that element as well, I just wanted to ask about because you obviously were in the industry for a long time. Did you see that? Because I see two parts of that, both the lack of care from the the person who borrows it and then just throws it and is so callous. Was that kind of a feature of the industry or do you feel like that was maybe a bit played up of like the fashion industry and the people you interacted with? Oh, no, I... I- I had fabulous people in my life in the fashion industry. My clients are wonderful. They all finished. That's not, they didn't all finish up friends, but I made very, very, very good friendships with my clients, and it was very special. Yeah, I mean, it it does sound like that from looking at it and the characters that were involved. Um, perfect. Well, I guess uh, let's just see if I'll do anything else before we close this off because we've gone on nicely here. I mean, do you want to talk about Mark at all? It's up to you. Is there um, anything else we're going to add to that? Because I know that is oh, a, yeah, I'll say, gets uh, a whole chapter. Um, Mark, there's a whole chapter on Mark, and he's probably the most important person in my life, and we got married a couple of years ago. But we've been together over 40 years, and it was just one of those uh, combinations of talents, I suppose. Because I, I, I think if I hadn't met him, I would probably be still making frocks and not making a great... I mean, I had a good living out of it, but I... I'd make a dress and I'd, uh, you know, you quote a price, a thousand dollars or whatever it was, and you'd make the dress and then I'd go, oh, I think it needs, you know, 20 more 
30 more layers of chiffon and then, you know, there goes your profit. So I would probably still be doing that today. But he's very uh, astute entrepreneur and, you know, we've, we've made a very good life together. So he kind of captured, he, he, he tamed us, or no, he didn't even tame the impulses, he just priced them more appropriately. <laughs> oh, no, we, we, we started our fashion accessories. That's a story I tell a lot by accident and it was like a, Errant teenager, it all got out of control, and I had to stop making clothes because the fashion accessory business was, you know, it was the, the golden goose, really, mm. and it needed more care than the other side of my career. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's really nice. I mean, I, I, to be honest, it sounds like you've had a very, uh, some people have these stories and they're sordid and quite, uh, like tragic and all that stuff, but you've had a. No, I've had a, I have to admit, I ha- I've had a blessed life. Very lucky. Um, Miss Whiteman, who I worked for at La Louvre, had a saying, and she said, the wind never touched them. And I think my life's a little bit like that. Yeah. I did see that phrase. I thought that was a really nice quote yeah. as well, yeah. It's a lovely phrase. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I guess I, I think we can close it off there. Uh, I guess thanks a lot, and uh, yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, George. Terrific. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.